We're going to start tonight in Judges 6. And I'm going to talk to you a little about Gideon. We had a little dog named Gideon at one point. He was so cute, a little white fluff ball. But I'm going to start in Judges 6. Um, last week, if you were here, Becky uh, spoke a little bit, and I realized she started saying some stuff that I had in my notes already, and I was like, stop talking, Becky. No, uh, you're going to steal all my stuff. But she started talking a little bit about the cycle of Judges, and if you're anything like me, when I read Judges, I get really irritated. Like, I get kind of frustrated with them. And the light with my contacts, like, missing from the spot. So, uh, no, it's okay. The, the cycle of judges, that there is the cycle of disobedience that was, in, that, that was now a pattern for the Israelites. The disobedience became their pattern. And disobedience always will lead to oppression and destruction. And Judges shows us that, that every time the Israelites fell away from God, that they begin to, what the word says is, play the harlot with other gods. When they turned away from God, that, that then came destruction and disobedience, which then caused them to cry out to God as if they could not learn the first time, and it just cycled. So this is after Deborah um, and Barak, Israel had 40 years of rest. And in my opinion, during that 40 years of rest, somebody didn't do their job because then Israel once again turned away from God, and um, where, that's where we're going to start is um, Judges 6, um, 1 just verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So obedience is the key to all that we will do. So just then, that's when a Gideon was uh, threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not where you usually thresh wheat. Just FYI, that usually happens outside. So he was hiding. He was in utter obscurity. And this is what I think is so cool. God is always searching for his champions. And I wonder if during that long period of time, if there just wasn't a heart that was loyal enough to the Lord to, to deliver his people through a, a, a vehicle that he could deliver the people that wouldn't glorify themselves but would glorify God. I wonder if that's just how long it took for a heart that was truly his to arise. Now, Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And I love this in the, um, in the Amplified. It says that he may support those whose heart is completely his. And I like the message paraphrase sometimes too, um, just kind of in, in, uh, in tandem with the word. I don't ever read it by itself, but just kind of with, along with it. It says, God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. 
So I feel like maybe that's what the Lord was doing. I mean, maybe he was just waiting for a heart like Gideon's. And what's, what's interesting is that Gideon was in total obscurity, much like many champions who are called. He was serving in obscurity. He was hiding food probably just to feed his family. He didn't, I mean, it, I, I'm not sure of all of his background really, but um, he's, he's sort of familiar but also sort of mysterious. That's why I like Gideon. Um, but much like David, much like Moses, they were in obscurity, and they, were, they had an open ear to the Lord. But um, right when, when Gideon was called, it's if you go down to verse 11, where we left off in Judges, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, yeah, the Abiezer, right? How do you say that? Anybody? Crickets? Cool. Whatever that word. That, I know, that is the worst word I can never, how do you say it? Abazarite? All right. Well, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the, angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I would put money on Gideon doing one of these. When the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And he's like, are you talking to me? Like, really? I, I, I just picture him in my head like, what? Oh, oh, you mean me. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, this is interesting. Why then all this has happened to us? Doesn't that sound like a lot of people we know? Why has all this happened then? And where are all, where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midianites. So Gideon recognized that there was a separation from God. He had no firsthand knowledge of the miracles of God. He had no firsthand experience, encounter with God. It was all hearsay. It was all what people had said to him. So there was no, no uh, big return. There was just this dry experience for him. He didn't know God. I wouldn't say he knew of God, but he didn't know him. And so he first throws that out. At, well, where, where have you been? <laughs> you know, like, um, you forsake us. And to me, I'm like, no, y'all disobeyed, but that's mincing words. Um, but when God called him, he said, um, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. So he called him mighty twice. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon did what a lot of us do when we receive the call of God, when we feel that pull of God on our lives, that we begin to rehearse all of our shortcomings, that we begin to immediately say, oh, this is A, B, C, D, this is why this won't work. <laughs> So I am not, like, I can't do any of this. But let me tell you, God loves weakness. He loves weakness. Because champions, they don't have to be strong. They don't have to be confident or fearless in their own strength. But God loves weakness because in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Our weakness becomes a platform for God to move and perform miracles in, uh, in the midst of the Israelites. He, he's just like, I have nothing. And God's like, yeah, that's why I like you. And so that's what we need to remember. God loves weakness. He's not put off by our, our weakness. He likes it. <laughs> it's a vehicle. It's a platform. So we, we need to rest in that when we feel at our weakest. I think that's one thing that we can learn from uh, the champion Gideon. So um, that's uh, really what I have. I should have said this earlier. What I have for you tonight is uh, seven attributes. Let me see. Seven attributes of a champion. So this is my first attribute, number one. Gideon, champions recognize and acknowledge the call of God on their life. What Gideon said is, um, 
I'm the least in my, I'm, I'm nothing. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found, so Gideon says to God, if now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk with me. And I, or I think sometimes when they say, oh, show me a sign that that's like kind of weak on Gideon's part. Like, um, but to me, it makes sense because he had no, he had no firsthand knowledge. He had no frame of reference for the things of the Lord. And so he's like, you can work with me here, buddy. And God works, uh, God meets us where we're at. So he meets Gideon where he's at. And um, so I won't go through all of this, but basically he brings out an offering and um, the Lord receives the offering. Um, I'll skip down. So 22, Gideon, at verse 22, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That's one thing that I think we can remember is that if we truly saw the face of God, we'd probably be laid out. So um, there, there, that reverence is so important. But So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Uh, so this is what the instruction then came to Gideon. So he recognized and acknowledged the call of God on his life. And then he, um, he had this deeper assurance of who God was because of that experience that he had. So he encountered God face to face. And then this is what his first assignment was to do. Um, he was commissioned by God to destroy the, the altar of Baal and the uh, Asherah, the cult image to Asherah. It, that was the idol, the idolatry of Israel. That was the, the idol of their worship. That was the, the thing that they worshiped. So this is not to be taken lightly what this job was. He's, and I love that Gideon's like, okay, now that I know I'm called, I can be radically obedient, and I will do this thing. And so he, he absolutely uh, went in under the cover of night. If you go to um, 28, when, uh, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside um, wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, "Who has done this thing?" And when they had inquired and asked, they said, "Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing." Then the men of the city said to Joash, "Bring your son out that he may die, because he's torn down the altar of Baal, and uh, he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it." Gideon was ready to die, to do what God said. He was ready to die to be obedient. And because he didn't, like, he, it was just, it blows my mind that you can have that kind of encounter and immediately become radically obedient. Um, so he tore down the altar. And I love, um, I love this part. Um, but Joash, here Gideon's father, he said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. I'm like, how can they go through that process and still, like, erect the altar again later? I'm like, duh. But um, just, you know, that cycle. So anyway, champions are willing to address places of idolatry. Um, they, they, they reject ungodly culture. He absolutely went against his culture. He lived in a culture that was so far removed from God. They hadn't seen his miracles. They felt that they were forsaken. They didn't count it like that they were disobedient. They felt that they were forsaken. So it's just kind of interesting to me that they, they didn't, they, it doesn't really say, it was, their separation from God was self-imposed. It was self-inflicted, but yet they could say, oh, well, we've been forsaken by God. So Gideon was a very special person to be able to reject that culture and to, um, to be willing to address those places of idolatry. Um, so that is, um, I have those 
the seven attributes of a champion. They reject ungodly culture. They're willing to confront areas of idolatry in their own heart, in the culture, uh, in their families. Uh, that's what champions do. They confront those high places, and they say the hard things, and they tear down strongholds, uh, and they, they confront every hidden place. So that's what Gideon did. So it set the stage. He tore down that, that uh, idol um, and then it goes through the sign of the fleece. I'm not even going to go into that. But really, Gideon was just requesting a deeper assurance from God of his promise and his power. And I love that God was so patient with Gideon. He's like, put the fleece, like, okay, so I'm going to leave this little rug here. And it's, like, going to be wet all around it, but the rug's going to be dry. And then, okay, but let's do it again. Let's do the opposite. Like, <laughs> it was so funny that he, God was so patient with, with Gideon, assuring him of, of his destiny and have um and that's what the lord does with us he patiently guides us and meets us where we're at um so i want you to move on to the next task uh judges seven this is crazy to me i love this story so much um gideon i don't even know how he arose to such a place of power in the military um but somewhere along the lines people were willing to follow him because then he is all of a sudden leading an army of uh, thirty-two thousand. So that's awesome. <laughs> so under the anointing of, of, of the Lord, he commanded leadership. And he, let, he didn't just, like, command leadership. He led by example. If you read through what he did, um, he walked in radical obedience to the Lord. So this is what he did. If you don't know this story, I'll kind of go through it. Uh, the Lord said to Gideon, so he has this army of 32,000, starting at chapter 7. Um, then Jerubal. Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So he's like, you have, your army's too big. Now, this is not modern military strategy. You would normally want, I think, I mean, I'm not in the military. I would think you'd want as many guys as you, had, you, know, you could have. Since the, uh, the Midianites were as numerous as locusts, is what it said earlier. So he said, there's too many of you. Um, we, need to, we need to fix this. So proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And just like that, 22,000 of the people returned. 22,000 people were afraid. And I think it's interesting that that was like, a filter for the army if, if they were afraid, because it's not even that Gideon or, or us as people that we are fearless, but it's that we have the revelation of the one that we serve, that we, we can go in obedience and we can go in fearlessness because we know that God is able. We know that he is able to deliver us. So somewhere Gideon was able to communicate that fact to the people that stayed around. And they were willing to receive that, that God will deliver us, God will save us. They, they, then they, it's like they started remembering all of the things that they'd been taught about the God that delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians years and years before. So um, just like that, that army dwindled down to 10,000. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. This is what I think is so awesome about Gideon is that he did not bat an eye. He absolutely obeyed God. Here, send 22,000 people home. Yes, done. He didn't question it. He didn't try to keep some back but, or, or uh, put a, um, a contingency. He didn't try to, um, to make his own way. 
he absolutely trusted in, in the power of God and was willing to send 22,000 people home. Um, so he brought the people down to the water at verse 5. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. So that's the way he went from 10,000 to 300 because he watched um, the people go to get a drink from, from the, the water. And he said the people that bend down, that get down on their knees and bend down like this to drink water, send them home. But the people that kept their eyes up and, and pulled the water to their mouth, those people stay. So there was something in those wa- the watchfulness of those people that marked them. Um, so those 300 people stayed. I um, uh, said, let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So I apologize if I'm talking too fast. I'm really excited about all this content. So if I tend to rush through it, I apologize. Um, That's messed up. White girl talking fast. All right. Um, so champions, they walk in radical obedience. And here you're going to see champions also, they lead by example. So they recognize and acknowledge the call of God on their life. They reject ungodly culture. They're willing to confront areas of idolatry. They walk in radical obedience. And they lead by example. And uh, they seek the Lord in all they do. They understand that God is king. We're going to get there just in a minute. So he leads by example. Gideon. Um, he doesn't just, he's not the boss. He doesn't tell them, okay, now go. Uh, he, he leads right along with them. He absolutely shows them what to do. But this is so cool. I didn't, I had never really focused in on this part of scripture. Um, I, I couldn't imagine what those 300 were doing the night before they knew they were going to swarm the locust army with just countless people. And we're three, we're a little battalion of 300, what they must have sat around feeling like. And um, I, I would think that they would encourage each other. I bet you some were shaking in their boots. Um, but they knew, they, they, were, they had to have been relying on what they knew about God, what somebody had told them, how important it is that we share the gospel and what we share what our stories um, because they're other people's rock to stand on when, in, in times of trouble like that. So, so Gideon must have been like, okay, I, I, I'm in this, like, really, I'm in the throngs of obedience. I'm just going to do what you say. Yeah, you all go home. You all go home. And then he looks at this ragtag bunch of, like, homies. This is what we have. <laughs> okay, like, we can do this. So that must have just been, to me, that would have been so scary. But, but Gideon was willing to just walk in that, the crazy, fearless obedience that I really desire to have. Um, so this is what happened. He goes down to the camp. God's like, um, just go down to the camp for I've delivered it into your hands. So he, God assures him, just trust me. I got this. Just do what I tell you to do. He's like, yes. Um, so he goes down and says, now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in their valleys, numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. So many camels. As the, they were really rich. As the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Ge- uh, Gideon had come, there was, a, so he, he's like listening like this. He came, there was this man telling this other man, I had a dream To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. So he's listening. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So the enemy already kind of knew. Those two dudes knew what was going to happen. 
the loaf of barley, barley bread was like a very insignificant grain. Um, it was kind of like poor man's grain. And so this loaf of barley bread destroyed the camp. So it's like, that's how Gideon probably saw himself. It's like this, God takes our, our barley bread, you know. He, he's, um, he takes our weakness and he can subdue a whole army of Midianites. So awesome. So Gideon was probably like stoked when he heard that, when he heard the interpretation of the dream. And uh, he's like, yes, God. And then he worshiped. He knew, so he already saw the victory in, in his mind. And then he worshiped God. And he, to me, he kept glorifying God in all that he did. So anyway, what happens? They go on, and I'm not going to read through all of this because there's other stuff I want to get to. But he divided the 300 men, and basically they just, whoosh, they attacked Midian. Midian ran, um, and then they pursued them, and uh, they yelled, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It just makes me think of Braveheart, like, freedom. But um, so what I, that is, I have to see things like that in my head, and I just get this cool picture of them just whoosh onto the end. And I think the way even Gideon here, he's obeying the Lord. He's, he's saying, when I, like, I love this, verse 17, he's leading by example. Look at me and do likewise. Look at me and do likewise. That's what a champion does. Not do what I say, I'm going to tell you to do this. Look at what I do and do what I do. And watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I wonder if the instruction from God made their army look a whole lot bigger than it really was. Like, I kind of think, like, wow, God's strategy is so much cooler <laughs> than ours and so much more all-encompassing. Like, he definitely knows what he's doing. So he, he leads by example. Anyway, this goes on, and they're victorious. He subdues the Midianites. He chases down the king's all this stuff, then what happens when he comes to the end of it, when, when to me, after the victory is when you see what the champions really made of, how they respond to that victory, because then Israel, in their, to me, in their stupidity, they, um, they say, oh, be our king. I'm like, y'all, have we not <laughs> learned? But um, we're slow learners, apparently, and God's very patient with us. But they, they cry out, and they say, be our king. And he, he understands that that God's design was for Israel to be a theocracy. It was God as king. So he wouldn't dare take on that position. So, see, champions understand that God is king. And um, so that's, that's where I want to read one more time. Seven attributes of a champion. This is what Gideon was. This is what most of the champions in Scripture was. This is what I aspire to be. That they recognize and acknowledge the call of God in their life. When Gideon was in that wine press and he heard the voice of the Lord, he responded. He rejected ungodly culture. He was willing to confront areas of idolatry. We tear down those high places. He walked in radical obedience. He led by example. He sought the Lord in all he did, and he understood that God is king. So he wasn't willing to take that kingship. He probably could have had a really, really easy, easy go of it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because I did amazing things. No, God did amazing things, and he was, he was willing to, to reject probably the kingship, the power, and everything to, to glorify God and, and in God's plan, to honor his plan. Um, now, Gideon wasn't perfect. No, nobody is. Um, they are imperfect people. They make mistakes. Um, so you see that. This kind of grieves my heart anytime, you know, Moses, people make mistakes, and uh, Gideon kind of did at the end here. Um, but he still is regarded as a champion of the faith. So what he did, which sounds eerily familiar to something that happened when the Israelites were in the wilderness, he said, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, 
rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, for the Lord shall rule over you. So Gideon had such an amazing opportunity right there to raise up a standard and to, to just absolutely declare it, God is our king. And, um, and he did that to a point. But then Gideon said to them, why, why, I do not know. I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw into the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pennants, and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian. And besides the chains that were around their camel's necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod, like a garment, and set it up in the city Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So Midian was subdued, and immediately Israel sought the Lord no more. It's just heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so how much uh, we, do we experience that, that when things are going really good, we stop seeking the Lord? How much do we see that in our culture today, that we're so kept in America even? Uh, even even the, the least of us is, is pretty kept, and we, we don't seek the Lord, and um, it's just so sad. But, um, and, and I think it's interesting that Gideon even did that, because back in the desert, when Moses was on the mountain, Aaron's like, oh, let's throw all of our gold into the fire, and this gold calf popped out. Now let's worship it. This has happened before. This exact thing has happened before. Why didn't he know? And I don't know if he did or if he didn't, but he should have known. And if he didn't know, somebody should have taught him. So that's our responsibility. That last attribute of a champion is champions train champions. That we have to make our priority training the next generation because as you look through this cycle of judges, People, we're, we're, we're delivered, we're comfortable, and then we don't teach our children. And then we don't, we don't make these miracles um, evident to them. And so what they do is um, the generation that followed after God, the judge, when they died, it's like they immediately, when Deborah died, they immediately went back to doing what they were doing. Gideon died, they immediately go back to doing what they're doing. And, and so it just shows that somebody is not doing their job. That's how I, I, that's how I feel about it. Somebody, somebody wasn't training uh, training the young people, training the next generation. So why does Israel continue to forget? Like, how does their culture look a lot like ours now? Just rampant idolatry, utter uh, a lack of reverence for who God is. That's so familiar to us now. And um, I was actually kind of geeking out earlier, um, and I was reading about different revivals and kind of like the, um, the great revivals in our history, and I was reading about the Welsh Revival, and that, that was a revival in 1904, 1905. It was um, completely changed the, U the United Kingdom, Scotland, Ireland, all of those countries. And it started because one man, uh, I always get his name backwards. It's Evan Roberts, but I always want to say Robert Evans. Evan Roberts, he, he, was a, he would wake up at 1 a.m. and then pray until 5 a.m. Like this kept happening. And from there, it like spurned on this whole revival. And the coolest thing about that revival, and I know this has nothing to do with Gideon, the coolest thing about that revival, as you read, it was two years that, that the entire, like, nation was just on their knees, seeking, like, just repenting. People were being delivered of alcoholism just, like, left and right. There was, they even said there was this bar that on a Saturday night only sold 19 cents in, 
in like alcohol. <laughs> they made 19 cents one night because everybody was praying and seeking the Lord, that they was just delivering people. It was this huge revival that actually marked the culture, that even people that weren't a part of the revival or directly involved in the revival or even the people that weren't believers, they were, they were like, what's going on? <laughs> What's happening? Shopkeepers were closing their doors from, um, from like 9 to, or, or what is it, like 11 to 2 so people could go pray. Churches would just stay open 24 hours a day. And, and it, was, it marked the culture. It absolutely changed the, the surrounding culture. And that's the kind of revival that I'm praying for in, in, in our country. And it can start in our city because I, I believe what he did, him or, or somebody, somebody, um, associated with that revival, he would stretch his hands out to the city and he would pray. And he would say, let revival come to the city, but let it start right here. And I just heard this teacher, um, I don't even remember her name, Priscilla Shearer or something like that. And she taught and she had the circle around her. And she, she put the circle and she was praying. And she said, what you can do when you begin to pray for revival, pray that revival starts in that circle. So we have periods of revival that we point to. Israel had these periods of time where they had encounters with God and they were miraculously, supernaturally delivered. And they, they would erect these altars. They'd be, this is where God delivered us from the hand of the Midianites. This is where God delivered us from the Egyptians, you know, on and on and on. We kind of have those experiences, the Welsh Revival, Azusa Street. We have these experiences, the, the Jesus, it is called the Jesus people or the, G, the Jesus movement, that, that mark our, our history, but if our children and these younger generations don't have a firsthand experience with God, if we don't experience revival, then we begin to live off people's past experiences and the power gets watered down. And so we need to start praying in a revival that gives our children and the younger generations a new encounter to mark our culture. That, that other people, non-believers, and they, they'd start reporting on it on the news. Like, this church has been going on. And people are coming, and they're getting healed, and they're getting set free of these diseases that were terminal, like all this, all this kind of stuff. We're, so, like, we're in a culture that's really removed from that experience. And what happens is that they, the generations begin to walk in disobedience, and they begin to experience destruction and oppression, just like the Israelites did every time they walked away from God. So teaching the younger generation, it has to be a priority. We need to make it a priority that we foster environments for our young people that welcome the manifest presence of God and set an example of radical obedience and total defiance of our culture. There can be no mixture or compromise because when we allow a little mixture, um, the next generation will allow a lot. What my, what my parents always say, this is why we don't allow alcohol in our household whatsoever. I won't really even buy it to cook with. Like, we don't, we don't play with that. Because what we do in moderation, my children will do in excess. So where we allow a little bit of compromise and a little bit of mixture, our children will do it in excess. And so we need to begin to raise up a standard and walk like champions so that our culture can experience a revival. So that, and it can start right with, I mean, that whole Welsh revival started with one man being obedient to the Lord to wake up and to pray. How awesome is that? So God is always searching the earth for his champions. He's searching the earth for hearts that completely belong to him. So will we be a people that, that will be focused in, in, in our purpose and totally resolved in our commitment like Gideon was? He was focused and purposed in our commitment to walk in radical obedience to the Lord. So if we want to see revival and see miracles 
in our day, then we have to be willing to be bold. And we have to actually put ourselves in positions to see miracles, which means that we have to be willing to take some risks. If we pray for, we, we, a lot of times we pray for miracles and we pray for signs and wonders and we don't move outside of our little, you know, our little sphere. We don't ever put ourselves in risky situations to, to see the glory of the Lord. We have to be comfortable with that and, and begin to expand our borders a little bit. So we have to be bold, fearless, willing to take risks, to take ground for the kingdom. So if we want to be champions, we have to have the revelation that when we are weak, he is strong. So we want to experience a revival that marks our culture, a revival that allows our children to experience that firsthand outpouring of the Spirit of God, the life-changing outpouring of the Spirit of God. One of the things that they say about the Welsh revival is that man, um, uh, Evan Roberts, that he prayed that it wouldn't be um, an intellectual experience or like, like a, a religious reformation like, like they'd experienced in Europe a few times. But that it would be, and not even, and not just an emotional experience either. He prayed that it would, it would literally like change people's DNA. That it would be the kind of experience with God that would alter their core. And and I mean, like in one year, it said, it's not a huge country, but like a hundred thousand people were added, uh, were saved, and and people were just like laid out before God. Um, that's the kind of experience that our children and our younger generations need to have. Otherwise, there, this trend continues, just like Israel that trend of disobedience, that pattern of disobedience was so weaved into their DNA that they, they didn't know how to even get out of it. So revival, that, that outpouring of the Spirit of God, it has to begin with us, and it starts to recognize, uh, it starts, revival starts when we think like champions and we recognize the call of God in our lives. And when we are willing to reject everything about our culture, when we're willing to tear down the strongholds and the high places and knock down those places of idolatry, just like Gideon did when he went at night and tore down those altars, knowing he could die. They, they could kill him right in front of everybody. And you know what? I think if that was his only purpose, he would have been okay with that because he was utterly in obedience to God that he could whittle down an army from 32,000 to 300 and be like, this is what I got to work with. God, I'm, I'm with you. It's amazing. When we're willing to tear down those strongholds and confront every area of idolatry in our hearts, when we're willing to get real with God and to confront those areas of idolatry in our households and in our families, a revival can come to our household. It can start right there. So revival begins when we choose to walk in radical, fearless, unwavering obedience to the Lord. 